Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I thought we'd talk about autism. It's a stigma that's out there with a lot of people don't know a lot about it and there are a lot of parents who are dealing with their children with autism. I invited Charlotte Griffin into the Beach Shack and she tells her story about her daughter Nala who has autism and the difficulties in raising a child And when going out into the public, the way people just do not understand what autism is and are unaware of the difficulties that all these parents are dealing with. So now let's sit back and have a listen to my chat with Charlotte. This week in the Beach Shack, we've uh, going to talk a bit about autism and learn a lot more about it. A lot of people would have dealt with this through their lives and also a lot of people would not have heard too much about it. So I thought I would get Charlotte Griffin into the Beach Shack and uh, chat about it and hopefully we can get that message out and get a lot more people understanding and normalising what autism is. So welcome, Charlotte. Hello. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Now, tell us the story about uh, Nala. You had a about four years ago now. So just uh, give us a – obviously during pregnancy you didn't know that she had any sort of condition at all? No. So I had a normal pregnancy. I had Nala normally. I had a bit of a a difficult birth but nothing too major. Nala hit all her milestones up until about 18 months. We realised that she was very, very needy to me. She had a lot of sleep difficulties. She didn't like sleeping on her own. Uh, she was she was starting to like, she would say like the odd word, but then she would like forget. So she'd say the mum, she said the dad, but then all of a sudden she just stopped talking. And I remember the health visitor coming over and they did a few tests on her and uh, straight away she didn't. She didn't tick all the paperwork, so they said, right, we need to start referring you to um, there's something called Portal and um, Speech and Language Therapists. We were, she was also at nursery as well, about 18 months, and they, I remember one day they said to me, she's, she stopped uh, turning to her name. Does she, does she go by Nala? Does she, is she called anything else at home? And I said, no, no. Um, I do realise that when I say to her, Nala, Nala, she she won't always turn around. She'd spend a lot of time at nursery just looking in the mirror and just making faces. And at that time, you could kind of start seeing that her peers were starting to talk more than she was. And then about about January 2020, we finally got a, a appointment at a speech and language therapist. 
and they uh, made a few tests on her and tried to get her to say cow and what do cows do? And her, her, she was vacant. Her eyes are just vacant. You just, she just doesn't, she didn't understand the communication. And uh, she said, I, I can't diagnose her, but I can, I can say that I'm, there's a lot more going on here than speech and language difficulties. I think it's, I think it might be autism. And at the time also we were, we were trying to go down the hearing route because she wasn't turning to her name. So we thought there might be something wrong with her hearing. So we went through numerous hearing assessments as well. But the, she just found it so distressful because she can't understand, oh, can you hear this? Can you hear that? And the way they did it, they tried to put like videos on both sides of us to make noises on it, on like either side and trying to get her head to turn, if that kind of makes sense. And she just wouldn't do it. She'd lay on the floor screaming and she'd just have massive meltdowns. And at the time, I just thought she was just being naughty. She's been like, she's having a bit of a tantrum. And uh, it was just because she just, there too much of sensory overload. These rooms were quite small and quite stuffy. Too many people she didn't know around her. And uh, in, in the end, we ended up getting her put to sleep and had this brainstem response done. And they they put like they measure the brain waves whilst they're putting noises into her ears while she's asleep. And turned out she had absolutely perfect hearing. And they just put it down to the autism. Um, so it's like she's just selective when she wants to listen to you. And also because she doesn't understand the communication. So yeah, we f we found out sort of January and then got officially diagnosed um, halfway through COVID. So maybe like July, August time, 2020. And uh, from then on, I've just tried to delve myself into as much research as possible and trying to reach out and get as much support and help as possible and uh, trying to trying to find like-minded individuals and realise that it's not just me. There's about one in a hundred children that, that uh, have autism. And uh, yeah, just trying to make her life as, as normal and as best as possible, really. How long did it take to come to grips with Nala's condition? So you've now found out that this is what it was, it was autism. How did that, did that really hit home pretty hard? I, massively. When, when that first word was mentioned, I never even thought about it because at the time I thought about her hearing. And the first thing I thought is, oh my God, she's going to get bullied. And I just remember like, crying in the car park <laughs> um I'm thinking hang on like Nala doesn't know anything she doesn't understand and this is a bit selfish of me but I also had to look at it as this isn't the parenting journey that I expected and I've got to learn so many different ways of dealing with this and and learning things that I didn't have to think that I would learn I didn't even really know what autism was and uh yeah yeah, it's, it's been hard. I think I spent about two years every now and then sort of grieving a child that um, I'm not going to have as it's a, a lifelong condition. But again, now I, I completely accept her for who she is. And she's a, a really amazing, funny little character. And and yeah, it, it is, um, it's a very different world, put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Well, how does she communicate with you? I suppose after a while you both would understand different things that she does and you do that she would understand? Yeah, so 
I I would say it's like having like a, a year old baby, like before they start talking. So they're trying to communicate with you by pointing. Um, so Nala walks, so she she'll take my hand and she'll take me to things that she wants. Or if we're choosing different foods or drinks, I'll give her an option of two things in my hand and she'll tap one, the one that she wants. She does vocalize some things now, um, but it's more like um, noises and sounds, uh, 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 kind of thing. And she has started copying and mimicking. But as for communication and actually asking for what she wants, it is very much a guessing game a lot of the time. And uh, yeah, it, it can be quite difficult. And if you don't get what she wants, she can lay down and just refuse to walk. She has these meltdowns. She starts throwing things at me. Um, so she, yeah, she can be like quite violent sometimes. And it's just like, well, do you want this? Do you want that? Do you want this? Do you think this is something that because she knows what she wants but she can't communicate that to you and, and you think that that's where the frustration comes from? Yeah, definitely. So her, her school were amazing. So she's been at this nursery and she's now in like reception and they're trying to get her to communicate by something called PEX and it's like a book and it has lots of symbols in it stuck to Velcro. And they try and get her to communicate what she wants by these symbols. So, for example, in her classroom, they don't have any toys out. And they get her to communicate what exact toys that she wants to play with via these symbols. And in, in hope that she'll use this at home in, to tell me what she wants. So the frustration isn't as bad. Are there other kids in that class with autism or it's just a, a, a whole lot of different kids? No. So she's in a school where it's 90% ASD, um, autism spectrum disorder, right. and um, a, may, may, I think it's a class of eight children to five adults. So um, she has pretty much a one-to-one all day long. And most of the kids, they, they know some words. Um, there's a couple of completely nonverbals. But yeah, it's it's just the communication. It, if if that was if that was there, it makes life just so much easier. But I didn't even know this existed before I had a child. I didn't even know there was a thing that children wouldn't speak or or autism like meant that there might be communication difficulties. So it's, it's just I wish there was just a bit more awareness around around it. I wish it was taught in schools because I I get I'll go to like Tesco say and you'll get someone come up to her and start trying to make a conversation with her and I'll have to reply for her and they look at me and think oh why is she not replying and sometimes I'm like oh she's autistic and they still look at me blankly and I just wish that people had a a little bit more understanding because people would look at her as as a normal child and you you, because you, you can't tell can you that someone has autism no, you can't. There is no look. And, and that's one of the things that's really annoying. You'll get people go, oh, well, she doesn't look autistic. Well, I'm not sure what an autistic person's meant to look like. Mm. Um, from, from afar, she looks like you, you and I. And, and that's what hidden disabilities is. You, you can't tell. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's hard. Mm. Now, there's all different... Um levels of autism what's Nala's level is it is it more a severe side to a to a medium 
Yeah, well, her paperwork says severe um, communication difficulties, but a lot of the doctors and pediatricians I'll speak to, they just say autism is a, a broad spectrum and we don't really like to label whereabouts it is. I'm on a couple of like Facebook autism groups and I think America's a bit different. Australia's probably different as well. But here they just like to say autism spectrum disorder. They don't really like to label whereabouts it is. With um, autism, it must put, you know, having a, a child uh, with autism, it must put a lot of strain on couples, you know, when they've especially got, it's hard enough with, with young kids anyway, but the extra stress of doing and dealing with autism? Yeah, definitely. I It put a massive strain on, on my relationship with her dad. And we broke up before we even found out she she had autism. I think the sleep thing was a massive thing. She wouldn't, she wouldn't sleep without me. I think I got into her own bed at like three years of age. And yeah, she was very needy, very clingy to me. And we had no idea. And a lot of people that I speak to uh, have all had breakups. And yeah, and now I'm I'm trying to date and trying to work in that I've got a, a disabled child. It is that's also quite difficult for someone to take on as well. Um, but yeah, luckily enough, um, her dad and I now have got a very good friendship. Because we know that Nala can't communicate, so we have to communicate, and we communicate to the best of our ability. Um, we get on quite well now, which is good. And so he does now um, take a role in with Nala and, and look after her as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sees her a couple of times a week. Uh, he has her overnight, and. The days that he doesn't see her, we FaceTime. So, yeah, it's great technology now, FaceTime. Um, so I just think it's really important for her because she can't communicate, I want to go see dad, say. She might pick up my phone and say, daddy, daddy. But, yeah, I, I think it's really important that she has, like, a routine of, of seeing him a lot. Did do you have a, a, a strong family network to help you along? And is there any government assistance for your situation yeah i'm i'm very lucky so i've i've got the best sister in the world <laughs> um she's like a second mum to nala she looks after her a lot and her and her boyfriend matt that yeah they're they're just amazing with her so if i if i need a break if i need to go out they're, they're always there and the first thing they do when they come home because we live together at the moment so the first thing she, they do is come and see her and they're playing games and they're always laughing and giggling and yeah they're they're really good my mum's good and uh yeah I've I've got like key people that Nada's really really like um keen to go with so yeah I'm, I'm lucky I've also got my support of my dog who I got as a therapy dog for Nala but he's now my therapy dog <laughs> <laughs> Well, how do you deal with your mental health? Because obviously there's a lot of stress there and, and you've got to deal with a lot. So how do you get by as well, you know, trying to have a, a, a as normal life as possible? I try and rely on my support network. I try and um, I try and throw myself into the gym, actually. I, I find that's the best thing for me and I've got quite a, like a good social social group at the gym 
So uh, I try and go most days when she's at school. Um, and that really, really helps me. And uh, yeah, I just try and make sure I've got things planned. I'll try and see people. And I also got a really social job. So I'm a hairdresser. So when when I do work, when Nada's at school, I've got really, really good, good clients that I've seen for years and years and years. And that really helps me. My sister's training to be a counsellor. So whenever I'm feeling down or if I'm if I'm not feeling quite right, she's always there to just support me. So yeah, I, I am. I'm really lucky in that, actually. Do you also have a network of other parents that have children with autism? And does that help when you can talk to someone that understands what you're going through? Yeah, so that's why I made my my Instagram for Nala, which is at ASD with Nala on Instagram, um, because I I realised that there's quite a few people with the same the same problems and same things that I go through and it's quite a community on there and Facebook as well there's quite a few Facebook groups so this, this is England UK so I'm sure there is in Australia as well and if there's anything that I'm questioning or anything I, I need for example Nala's growing out of a buggy now and she she needs to have a buggy because um, she can't walk very far She'll either run or she'll just lay on the floor. So she to be able to access the community, I have to have a buggy. So when I got to that point, I was like, oh, my God, what, what am I meant to use? How am I meant to get out? And so I use these Facebook groups to sort of ask other people, well, what would you do in this situation? Or, or Nala's growing out of these nappies because she's still in nappies. What are people using now? So, yeah, I, and I have made um, a couple of friends in the area. We've got children similar. And, uh, yeah, it, there's always people out there if you if you ever think, oh, I need to know about this. There's always someone else that's gone through it. So, yeah, it's really important to um, have, like, a network around you. Now, with um, Nala's, it must be tough when you go out and then she does have a tantrum and then people – would they look at it and say, well, it's just a, it's a naughty child? Do you get some people that just don't understand? And also it can be quite cruel. Absolutely, yeah. And it's really sad. That's why we need to raise awareness because, yeah, she, so she, things can get quite overwhelming for her. So um, if, she, if she decides that she doesn't want to go to the supermarket – I've, there's times before where I've got her out of the car and she's just sat down in the middle of the car park. Um, she's tried running in, out in front of cars. Like, she's got no danger awareness. And uh, people look at me like, control your child, or they'll, they'll just stare at you. Um, and also because she's quite big now, she's about 35 kilos, um, nearly five years of age, and she's too big to be in a standard buggy. So she's in like a, a McLaren, like um, like a wheelchair buggy. And people look at her and like think, well, why isn't she walking? Like, um, surely that child should be walking. Like she's she's clearly looks fine. <laughs> that's that's the, uh, the general like misconception that I get. And uh, say we're walking around the supermarket, so she'll see things that she'll normally eat. So she'll spend the whole time walking around the supermarket screaming because she wants everything off the shelves. And it's, it's little things like that. So I can't even take her to the supermarket anymore because I just get people staring at me like, why, why is that child just making so much noise? And 
or if she is out of her buggy, she'll she'll just have like these refusals to walk where she'll just sit down in the middle of nowhere and or she'll lay on her back. And I just think that's kind of her way of like grounding herself when things just get a little bit too overwhelming. And people look at me like, why is your child just laying on the floor? <laughs> but you get to the point where you just try and block everybody out. Um, we've got these sunflower y- lanyards here in the UK, which kind of shows that you've got um, you or you're with a child that has a hidden disability and people that know, know about it and hopefully will raise more awareness that that if they've got that, then then there's there's something there's a condition or there's something going on there but yeah it's it is sad yeah a lot of people don't realize and and I before I had Nala I probably would have looked at kids making all that fuss and think oh what's going on there are they upset are they okay I'd never think oh they've got a, a condition or they've got a disorder or there's something going on you know yeah it must be hard and and how does it make you feel though it, it- must be tough when people do stare like that. Yeah, yeah, it is. And sometimes it puts me off going out. Um, but you just got, you just got to go get through it. And it's not fair to hold Nala back. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm very cautious of where I take her and, and, and when, what times. Like I, if I won't go to really, really busy places, like soft plays and things at the weekends, because she'll she'll get kids trying to come up to her and trying to talk to her and and she just looks like she's ignoring them and I have to explain oh she's not ignoring them or they'll come up and they'll go oh, why why is she drinking out of a baby cup and I'll just turn around and I'll just say oh she's special or <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah a lot of people do stare and a lot of people judge and it, it's a shame really that's why we need more awareness it is. And is there anything like in the UK where they are doing awareness now at all? So I think supermarkets do um, like an hour in the morning where you can go and it's a little bit quieter. You've got the National Autistic Society and they put on like events and things every now and then. But no, I I don't, don't think so. I think it needs to be taught in schools. I think it needs to be taught from a young age. Um, yeah, there just needs to be yeah more, 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 more. <laughs> Especially when there's, there's so many kids with it now. Well, as you said, there's one in one every one hundred, and you, you, it nearly should become a subject at school, really, shouldn't it? For all different, not only autism, but there's a lot of other disabilities that kids have to uh, deal with, and uh, people are not aware of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. People just need to be a little bit more aware that even though you, they may look the same as you or I, they they might be have learning difficulties or they might be deaf. Um, there's yeah, there's all sorts of of different different like chromosome disorders and things that people yeah people don't know about. And that's something that I have dealt with a bit at the beach as a lifeguard. Is there's some with disabilities, there's some that, as you said, with hearing, and we tried to move them out of a dangerous area, but they actually couldn't hear what we're saying. And same with kids on the beach when they just ignore us or, or, or anything like that. And potentially they could have um, some sort of a disability that, that we don't know of and we should be aware of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's why we've got like the sunflower lanyards here. So I, I don't know if they have something like that in Australia. I'm not sure. I, I, I don't. Um, 
I don't know that if they do or not, but uh, it's something that I'm going to look into and see what else um, I can find out about because until you sort of hear of someone that has a child with autism, you don't really hear a lot about it, especially in Australia. You don't really hear that much about it at all. And the thing is, is autistic kids are mostly fascinated with water. And so uh, I've looked it up. They've actually got a, a higher percentage of, of drowning to a typical neurotypical child. Uh, <laughs> there's times where I've just found, I've literally disappeared downstairs five minutes, come back upstairs, and Nala's trying to run a bath of boiling hot water. <laughs> um, she'll stick her hands down the toilet um, because she just doesn't understand that it's not what you're supposed to do. She's always putting her hands in the washing up bowl where there's sharp knives and things. Like she has no danger awareness, but she just loves water so much. But yeah, if I had a, a pool or something in my back garden, she should be in it. So yeah, I, I guess um, the drowning thing would be a quite big factor over there as well. It is. And, and before teaching them to swim, we, we now teach them to float. And Kids, we had one, a, a girl that had a cerebral palsy. Now, she couldn't stand up out of a wheelchair on her own. She, her arms, uh, she couldn't use that well either. But you put her in the water. She loved the water. Now, you put her in the water, and she learned to float in 10-by-10-minute 10 10 lessons, and you could leave her just floating in the water with a big smile on her face. And Oh, wow. That's where she's not going to drown because in a pool, if she does decide to – try and get in herself she or fell into the pool, she now knows how to float. And even when you come and, and someone comes to the assistance, she'll be just floating rather than being on the bottom. And I think that's probably something that, like Nala and that, should be learning is how to float just in case they do want to venture into the water. Yeah. I'm just not sure with um, swimming lessons and things how I even communicate that's what you do. <laughs> yeah like it's um do you know what i mean yeah it's more a, a, a see with uh, even with nala it'd be something where to teach someone to swim it's, it's going to take a certain amount of years whereas learning to float is something that you can hold her on her back while you're in the water as well and then she gets the feel of it and then you slowly let them go a little bit and then have your hand there and Gradually, they get the feel of the water and, and how to do it themselves. Yeah. She's got one of those life jackets. So anytime that I go away or she's going near a pool, she's yeah. always in a life jacket. And she's pretty um, – she can keep herself up in the life jacket. I don't yeah. need to hold her. So that's that's one thing I'm happy about. So in the UK, we don't have as much water here. So <laughs> Yeah. Now, do you worry that – as she gets older, you know, she's got to go to school and she's got to deal with, you know, kids that might not be that nice to her. And um, also you're a full-time, basically a carer for at the moment. Like if you weren't around or something happened there, what, is there a, a worry there? Have you got a plan in place in, that, that you could do in the future? Yeah, so it's it's really hard because – you don't know how much she's going to progress. 
So you don't know if in the future she she might be able to hold down a job. She might be able to live independently. There's quite a few different options in the UK where you can have like assisted living. Um, you can you've got residential homes where you can stay for part of the week. But yeah, she'll be at her school until she's 19. And I've got her in one of the best schools in the area. And uh, yeah, luckily she'll she'll be there till she's 19. And then we'll assess from there, actually. Like they, they teach her all the, the skills that she'll need to cook for herself uh, and they help her clean herself. But yeah, it's, it's I've got like things that are, are possibilities in, in the future, but I don't like to look too far in advance because it upsets me and it's a bit scary because... Yeah, she might be living with me forever and ever and ever. And also you have to think about what happens if anything happens to me. Like I have to put plans in place. Who would look after her? I mean, I, I'm her I'm her voice. So she needs people around her that understand her. She can't just go live with anybody. So yeah, yeah it's, it's tough um, thinking about future, but I try and take six months at a time. <laughs> yeah, that's all you can do at the moment. With autism, are they doing studies to try and work out that there potentially could be a, a cure or something that can advance them uh, a, a bit more? No, there's no cure and they don't even know how how it happens. I, I think there's a few there's a few things. They say it could be genetics, Um some people say the vaccines. Some people say it could be trauma. No, no doctor will ever tell you where it comes from. Um, there's just lots of things online that people say where they think it's come from. And so I guess without knowing where it's come from, there there will never be a cure. Um, but there is no cure, and I'm I'm happy with how she is, and I've come to terms with it. And as much as she she gets distressed and upset if i could give her the communication i wouldn't want to cure her cuz mm. she's got <laughs> she's got the, a brilliant personality she's she's hilarious it's just the communication which then leads to the frustration and the violence i I'd, I'd like to get rid of that <laughs> but hopefully that will come with time yeah. oh, i mean look any parent loves their child and, and and everyone's got their own personality and um you know i can see that uh, as well that she um, has her own little personality there. But what does she sit and watch TV? Does she understand different TV shows? Yeah, so she is obsessed with like all like Peppa Pig and she'll sit there and watch a whole film, so Toy Story and Shrek and Trolls and she loves TV and loves films and she echoes a lot from it. She does something called echolalia where she actually, she, she's so funny. She'll just be walking around and then nothing's even on. She'll just start copying things that she's heard from Peppa Pig. So she'll just go, uh, Peppa, George, come, quick, quick. And it's not even in context. She's just copying things that she's heard. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's very amusing. So, yeah, TV and film she loves. But with um, regards to anything that's like making like tea parties and she likes drawing, but tea parties and uh, like other like other things that other kids her age would do she doesn't have the attention span for so her attention spans about 30 seconds a minute long and she's just really not that interested and I try not to give her pens and paints and things because she thinks my walls are her canvas um, 
so I've uh, I've disappeared to the toilet for five minutes before and come back and she's got hold of my lipsticks and my makeup <laughs> and she's covered my room <laughs> so I try and keep things like that um, to a minimum and she can do that at school <laughs> um, well she's but, not silly yeah. I think a lot of kids like doing that so she knows uh she knows what to do with a lipstick. Yeah. <laughs> I've come in before and her whole face is like red and like <laughs> and just like eyeshadows and things. I'm like, oh my goodness, what's happened? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, with regards to like TVs and films, yeah, I, I'd be lost without it, to be honest. I, she, um, she goes a bit crazy if she doesn't have something to focus on she starts throwing tantrums she starts throwing her things at the walls she's got this baby that she absolutely adores and she she cuddles it like a baby and she goes oh baby and then all of a sudden she will just launch it at, at the walls and the ceilings and I, I go no poor baby poor baby baby's gonna be sad and I get her to pick up the baby and cuddle it and then she'll do it again. I think this poor child. <laughs> and it's like she just likes the repetition of yeah. watching my my reaction and and trying to make the baby happy again. Um, yeah, yeah it, it's very funny. <laughs> you have to laugh, otherwise you'll cry, right? <laughs> oh, you would. I mean, yeah, it's tough. I can't imagine how tough it would be day to day. So, yeah, you've got to have the uh, – that element of laughter and, and fun, um, yeah, because you're right, you'd be, you'd be there crying every day otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's, like this morning I tried to get her to go to school and she was upstairs and she said no. So she knows the word no. So said, no, we're going to school. No, no. And so she'll lay down and she'll just absolutely point blank refuse. And she's got so heavy now that I can barely lift her. Her dad really struggles now as well. And he's like a six foot two grown man. And uh, we're getting to the point where we're like, I, just, I don't know how we're going to cope any soon because we both can't lift her. So there I am this morning, like dragging her by her feet down the stairs. Um, so she, her bum's on the stairs and she's going boom, 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 yeah. boom. She's going, no, 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 no. But I've got no other way of trying to get her to school now. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, a bus comes and picks her up from my door because um, her school's half an hour away. Uh, so she gets transport to and from. But, yeah, there's, there's things like that where you think, oh, God, where, where am I going to be in six months' time when you're all heavier? So... I've kind of started lifting weights at the gym, trying to make myself stronger so I can just be like the best person I, I can be to look after her. Now, you're saying about, say, future relationships. Would you be hesitant to have more kids? That's something that's on your mind? Yeah, I, I never wanted just one. I always wanted two, but I just don't think I could cope. I, one's, one's enough at the moment. She needs all my eyes and all my attention and as much as I think she she would love like a a, a babe a baby, but she, you also wouldn't be able to leave her in the room with one. You, you just you just can't. Um, her reactions and she's just yeah. I, it's it's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but maybe her her dad will will be with somebody, or I might be with somebody that has a child from another relationship, and then she'll have that bond. But yeah. I just don't think bringing a baby around her is, is a, a good idea. No, it's um, 
it, it's something that yeah you can't take a, your eyes off, and that that's something that uh, is pretty tough, really. That you you have to be on. You basically got to be on your on the ball every minute of the day. Yeah, I mean things might change. Maybe when she's a lot older, she might not be as aggressive if her communication comes on. You know, never say never. But right here, right now, absolutely not. I feel like now that she's going to school, I've got my life back a little bit. I'm able to work and I'm able to go to the gym. But if anything, she absolutely loves dogs. She's a love a lover of animals. So I would just happily have like a couple more dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so many people out there that probably are the listening that, that would resonate with what you're going through. And what's the, the Instagram again and, and Facebook that so people can – get in contact because they might be on their own and and not have uh, much communication with people in the same situation. So they might want to get in contact and uh, and find a bit out. Yeah, please do contact me. Um, I'm sure there's information that we can all learn off each other. Um, her Instagram is at ASD with Nala. And, yeah, yeah, please please feel free to message and, uh, yeah, follow her. It's It starts from the beginning when she was a baby and when I found out. Um, and uh, and now, now looking at her lovely little personality grow and when she starts saying words. And it's, and it's lovely because uh, every kid will hit milestones, but the tiniest little things with an ASD child just makes so much difference. Like, oh, my God, she said, I love you. Like, it's just the biggest thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when she says mummy for the first time and the night mummy and... Yeah, so all that sort of stuff I try and document. So we've got something to look back at when she's older and sort of see how much she's progressed. Well, you know, it's, you do an amazing job and it's uh, something that, you know, just so, so, so hard and, and hard to um, to deal with. And, you know, you just do a, a great job on what I've seen and, you know, all the respect to you in, in the world for what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's hard, but uh, I've come to terms with it and I, I just make her life as best as I possibly can. That's all you can do. Yeah, that's uh, 100%. Now, uh, at the end of the interview, I do five fun facts. So I'm going to uh, finish off with five questions I'm going to throw at you. You can answer them however you want. It's uh, no right and wrong answers. Yeah. What are you most proud of? You know what? <laughs> I'm proud of myself. Um, I never thought I'd be able to juggle as much as I do. I'm a carer for my daughter. I work as much as I can. I try and keep fit to be in the best shape for her. I've got a very needy dog. I'm trying to date. And I just always seem to have a lot of my plate. I'm adulting. <laughs> trying to look after a house, clean, tidy. I Yeah, I'm a very, very busy person. So, yeah, I'm proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> The best thing about living in England? Definitely not the weather. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I love the lakes and the the country parks that I've got around me. I've got some really nice places to go dog walking around near me. And there's loads of things to do here with kids. So, yeah, that's not his favorite thing to go dog walking and soft plays and parks and things like that. Last time you laughed so much you cried. (laughs) <laughs> the other day I said to Nala she's being a parrot because everything I said she was literally just copying me but she didn't understand that I said parrot 
<laughs> and clear as day, she turned around to me and she goes, a carrot. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're being a parrot. And she goes, a carrot. <laughs> That's very amusing. <laughs> the favourite childhood memory? Favourite childhood memory um, I've got is um, being in Australia with my sister. So I spent five years there when I was younger. And we used to pick the frangipani flowers and put them in our hair and uh, – it's a good memory for me. So I've got frangipanis on my wrist as a tattoo to always remind me of my youth there. What are some things that sound like compliments but are actually insults? Okay, so I get a lot of she looks like a normal child or looking at her, she doesn't look disabled or she doesn't look autistic. As, as much as you think that's a good thing by saying that, um, what what even does what does a normal child look like you know um what does disabled look like um so people just need to be more educated on hidden disabilities i also get i've got a disabled parking space for nala so when i've parked in this disabled parking and i get nala out and she can walk people look at me and think why is she not in a wheelchair so yeah that, that mm. that's that's definitely an insult Charlotte, it's been great having a chat, having you in the beach shack, and uh, hopefully you can get back out to Australia and I can uh, meet Nala in person or I might be able to get over there with Karen to England and uh, catch up. Yeah, we definitely have to catch up at some point. Um, but, yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure and I hope, um, you know, we can get that message out there to a lot of people listening and uh, about autism and, and hopefully you know, get the awareness so people do understand and or have a second thought when they are next time at a shopping centre and, and a child is playing up and just sort of, you know, be a bit empath- uh, have show some empathy there. Exactly that. Yeah, that's all I ask is just, yeah, have a bit more empathy and just be a bit more aware that people are all going through struggles and uh, it's not always what you might see. It can be hidden. Now let's go to Beach Banner. This week in the Beach Shack, we've got Wally. How are you, mate? Good, huh? How are you? Good. Mate, I was sitting the other day and I was swimming a few laps at the in the pool and I, I, I thought of you and what you did prior to being a lifeguard. Now, when you're growing up, you were more a, a swimmer, a pool swimmer. So tell us a bit about that and, and then what you uh, eventually achieved. Yeah, I uh, I mean, since I can remember, I I grew up in a pool and, yeah, I had a pool in my backyard and from, from an early age, I was just always in the water and my dad would go down to the local pool for laps and he'd take me with him because I'd be awake. So, from yeah, from as early as I can remember, I was always swimming and then once I was into school, I was doing all the school swimming carnivals and got quite competitive and all through my schooling years, I was competing at a national level and uh, eventually finished school. Uh, moved to the GC straight after I finished my HSC. I, uh, I wanted to pursue my swimming a little bit more seriously and do that full time. And not not that I wasn't doing it seriously while I was at school, but you know, when school takes up a lot of your time, it's hard to give everything to it. So uh, yeah, I moved up to the GC and just, yeah, I wanted to focus everything I had on swimming. I had about two years until the London Olympic trials. So 2012 Olympic trials. 
I, uh, I had two years to prepare for that and I gave it everything. I, uh, I ended up going down to the trials in Adelaide in 2012 and I didn't, I didn't come away from that meet with exactly what I wanted, which was obviously to make the Olympic team. But uh, I, I learned a bit from that, from that whole process of training towards it and, and trying to prepare yourself for such a big thing. So I learned a bit, but yeah, obviously didn't get what I wanted. So I just took some time out after that. I just, I needed a break. I just needed to mentally reset and physically just have a little rest. So I took about three months off. I went home to Sydney for a little bit, spent some time with my parents and just reassessed what I wanted to do. And I decided I wanted to get back up on the Gold Coast and still swim. I still wanted to swim competitively because I still had some ability in the, in the water. So I went up, went back up to the Gold Coast and I trained, changed swimming clubs up there just to get a bit of change and motivate me a little bit more. Um, I also decided I didn't want to do too much of the pool racing anymore. I just wanted to do swimming on a different platform. So I joined a surf club. I, I joined a surf club back down here in Sydney, actually. I joined Bronte. Um, reason being is the only bloke I knew that was in a surf club was uh, Andrew Beato. I trained with him in Blacktown there growing up and he, uh, he kind of was doing the same thing that I wanted to do with my swimming now, which was to, to swim competitively, but uh, not, not so much in the pool. It's more the open water stuff. So, yeah, that's the reason for joining Bronte Surf Club instead of one of the more famous Gold Coast surf clubs. But, uh, yeah, I, I, from there I just was going to surf carnivals and enjoying my swimming a lot more and just was having a lot of fun. It's a different environment. The team environment was, was something I enjoyed a lot ended up being quite successful with the surf life-saving side of things and yeah I got a few Australian gold medals there at the Aussie Championships that they uh, hold every year so um, yeah it was quite quite a good feeling to still be able to do my swimming and get something out of it after such a, a goal that I had in 2012 that didn't didn't come to fruition but yeah from there I, I, I'd sort of I'd, I'd achieved what I wanted to with the surf life-saving stuff and I thought you know what I've I might get back down on the on the beaches of Sydney and just see what's going on down there. So I moved down to Sydney for a little bit, and that's what led me to uh, get a job there at the beach at Bondi. So, I mean, I tried to wrap it up pretty quickly there, but, uh, yeah, that was my story pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it did, that path led you to being a lifeguard, and, you know, if you didn't probably join the surf club and know someone there, you probably wouldn't have then yeah, gone into it. being a lifeguard. Well, yeah, that's that's exactly right. I mean, that's why I came back down and was around the beaches there at Sydney a little bit more than what I would have been because I was a part of the surf club at Bronte. I, I knew a few guys in the club there and it's exactly how it happened. I was at the beach and I, I think it was Dino or someone was there and I was just having a chat to him and, um, yeah, it, it, there was a few spots available for lifeguarding. I thought, you know what, I, I could probably do that so I got on the board and I was doing a bit of training and stuff and then the tryouts for the lifeguarding position came up and went along and I went all right so yeah that's yeah that's how I got to where I am today and with the swimming a lot of people you know they'll swim a kilometer a day or something so how um how much work had did you have to put in when you in the swimming uh yeah look back in the day like trying out for the olympics it's it's a full-on it's a full-on process so it's, i mean you've got to be doing 70 kilometers a week minimum um for the event that i was doing it anyway so that was the 400 and the 1500 meter freestyle I had to be hitting 70 kilometers a week which is 10 sessions a week seven kilometers each session you could work it out to be so that was for that and then once i sort of 
reassess what I was doing. I want to do the open water stuff, the surf club stuff. And I was working a little bit on the side of training. I sort of backed it back to about 60 Ks a week. And yeah, if I was hitting that, I was pretty happy. And what times were you doing? Was it, you know, a lot of people are happy doing, you know, the times that they do, but yeah, what times were you looking at there to be getting to the Olympics? Uh, yeah, so we had to, to make the team, you had to become, uh, get first or second, but you always also had to get under the qualifying time. And I think at that time it was 15 minutes and 10 seconds for 1500 freestyle. So, I mean, it's, it's quick. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard time to get, but I, I thought I was in a position there where I could get it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. A few things came into play which just didn't lead me to that time that I needed or, or even the place that I needed. I ended up getting fifth at those trials, which uh, wasn't ex- – yeah, it's not where I wanted to be, that's for sure. So I was, I was a bit disappointed after that meet. Well, well, mate, it's uh, great to have you in the beach shack, mate, and uh, the swimming career. I know yeah. you're, uh, you look like you cruise, mate, when you do the test. You're cruising <laughs> along on – I'm uh, flogging myself, but, mate, great swimmer, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Cheers, Hot. Yeah, it's changed a bit these days. I just went for a swim then, actually. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not as quick these days, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cheers, Hot. Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. This week's mailbag, I thought I'd uh, ask the question myself. And the question is to the listeners, what's your favourite episode and what would you like to hear more of? So if you'd like to uh, send that through on the uh, social media pages, Instagram is uh, at Life's a Beach AU, as is Twitter, Life's a Beach AU, or the Facebook page, which is Life's a Beach Podcast. So... Get in contact, message me through whichever way uh, suits you and let me know what you think. Once again, what's your favourite episode and what would you like to hear more of? So please get back, let me know and I hope you enjoyed the episode and I'll catch you again next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.